0: up with rocker, Mike and rob Rossi. I'm getting loved up with rocker, Mike and rob Rossi. Well, I'm lumped up, but I'm okay. It's gonna get lumped up anyway. You better call back imposter. Just getting loved up with rocker, mic, and rob Rossi. Getting loved up with rocker, mic, and rob Rossi.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rocker Mike and Rob Presents show. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Park Dental Care in Richmond Hill, Queens. Today we have a very special guest, a lady that's been referred to as the hippest lady in New York. Lenny Kay from Patti Smith's band has called her music shimmering nighttime pop. I love her music. This is Roxanne Fontana. Say hello, Roxanne.
2: Hello. <laughs> hello. How are you doing?
1: Okay, so
2: new City. yeah,
1: New York. now you're in the UK, right?
2: Yes, I am.
1: Okay, and yes. uh, we're doing this on a nice afternoon. I know it's the evening for you, so thank you for taking time out oh, and sure, coming it's on. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. sure, Cool, it's cool. Yeah. Now you have a uh, a brand new album that was just released in April called uh, Phantasmagorgi. I got it right here. You were nice yeah. enough to send me a copy. OK, and um, it came out last month and you, the first single was uh, Donovan's Hampstead Incident. I was I was very surprised to hear you cover that song. And I just have to mention, too, I know we, we, we talked about this when we had our little pre-call test yesterday. Um, but uh, I got to thank Greg Prevost from the Chesterfield Kings up in Rochester for bringing this album to my attention and your friends with him on Facebook. And uh, he posted something about how great this was and, and, and we know Greg. We know Greg isn't isn't one to give good criticism no, too no. much.
2: He's a, he's a good litmus test, that's for yeah. sure.
1: Right. If he likes something, you definitely gotta pay attention. That's and right. you've been on my radar for a while anyway. I've been I've been, I have been meaning to to get in touch with you somehow. So that was a good that was a good reason to do it. Um your career has I mean it's 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 been a, a 40 year, a little bit more than 40 year career. You've been everything from music to uh, to uh, fashion, and you've written books and you've done. You're like a Renaissance woman. You've done everything.
2: Yes, I'm an astrologer also. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Life, you know, life's too short. Do a lot of things, you know.
1: Yeah, that's that's my attitude. That's definitely my attitude. Now you're originally from Brooklyn, from the Bensonhurst area, right?
2: Yeah, Mapleton. Okay. which is this strange area of uh, just a few blocks, actually, um, between Bensonhurst and uh, Bay Ridge.
3: Right, right. I
2: was going to say Bay Ridge. Yeah. yeah. You can see the Verrazano Bridge from mm-hmm. my, my street, Avenue M.
1: And You grew up in the 60s and 70s, and, and that was a great time in New York City for having fun and music, and, and so many things were going on. Um, but yes, what, what yeah. I noticed
2: my favorite moments mm-hmm. was then we moved to long island like a lot of people did yeah. and uh, we did that in 1970 and um it was weird it almost coincided with the music in the world to go from like the city to the suburbs it was like it almost coincided with the sounds on uh, in rock music you know but my favorite moments are in brooklyn and i still have vivid memories of, of certain things like i remember sitting on the bench in front of my apartment building and uh there were so many teenagers on the street. And a lot of them were tripping, you know, <laughs> like going across the Avenue M, like walking like this. And I'd say to my mother, what's, and she said, oh, they're all on dope. You know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I remember like somebody passing with uh, the doors light my fire blaring out of the radio. It was just so magical, you know, it was, and how did I know it was magical? I was just a kid, but I think, you know, the antenna was up, and I could just feel that this is it. This is something special, and it influenced me so much. Like a lot of people, that I became completely music obsessed. I was buying one to two singles a week in 1968 when I was nine years old. Wow! And, you know, it wow. was like, but and it was amazing because it was you know the same week whatever maybe I would buy like Steppenwolf as well as you know Bubblegum like one two three red light you know. <laughs> so yeah. it was interesting, but it was such fantastic time. And the music was so great that to me, when music went off AM and onto FM, it was the beginning of the end. And I think I was right because this the AM radio in the 60s was so inspiring. It was so it made you feel good, you know, all that and the mixture of genres is something that stayed with me and influenced me, you know, to, to be into Smokey Robinson and the Supremes and being to Steppenwolf, right? So, and then like in the 70s, that got a bit more you know, wasn't really like that anymore. And then by the time I was old enough to play music myself, I had to deal with this, the most ridiculous bullshit, like record labels saying, well, what is she? Is she metal? Is she rap? Yeah. It's like, wait a minute, you know, I'm everything that I feel like being, that's what they, I was thinking was wonderful, you know?
1: They, they, wanted to, uh, they wanted to categorize people, okay? So
2: they just killed themselves, you know, like and if yeah. was sort of damn then, but you know, music is great. And all well, music is great. You know, there's no, you know, why be just one thing? You know, and then I'm I'm right. like that in my songs, in my playing. I mean, I don't, I don't really, I don't write any hard rock songs. But I've written one song. That I actually tried to pitch to Aerosmith once, and um, what are the Black Crows? You know, but basically, you know, I I have soulful moments where you can hear things like Motown influences. Sure,
1: I hear then, it in your music.
2: Yeah, totally. And then I'll have you know moments that are totally like psych, you know, psychedelia. But the main thing is to be um, you know poetic. That's my the thing. And the thing is, a lot of people don't listen to lyrics, you know, so it's sort of lost in a way. Uh,
1: The music world today is is in a sad shape. I mean, we could do a whole show about that. But it's what I've noticed with your style. um, You are kind of like a like you say like a sponge. Like you took all that in. And you put, you know, it just comes out in what you do, um, especially your fashion sense. I mean, the videos that you've put up over the last few years, yeah. you know, you just look like, a, I mean, and, and this is all great to me, like a Marianne Faithful kind of influence somewhat with a little bit of Nico thrown in and uh, your own stuff. And I, I just I just think that, you know, you got it down great.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I'm really I've always been into clothes. I was I remember when mm-hmm. I was younger, one of my teenage friends on Long Island said, the way you dress, it's like an art form. You know, and then <laughs> yes. it was, he was just this, you know, pothead friend of mine in, in uh, Elmont. And he, I, you know, I just met him one night. He said, the way you dress, it's like an art form. And I've been accused of dressing like Jimi Hendrix. I remember I was accused by a boss once in LA mm. and he had, he had clients coming in. He said, you know, Roxanne, it's great that you dress like Jimi Hendrix, but not tomorrow, please. You know, and <laughs> <laughs> i was so complimented by that you know so yeah I'm, I'm really into fashion and um well just into style and and italian style especially you
3: know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: and and definitely the 60s and 70s but you know the fashions they make today are, are really fantastic it's just that the design is a lot of the clothes they make the, the price is out of reach you know and I'm yeah not really that's true them. i mean
1: even even going to thrift stores and places like that in the village like it's it, you need you need a bag full of cash
2: yeah i mean i bought this blouse in uh, in some weird little town in the czech republic and it's from italy and uh it had the label ripped out and i said that's right. my favorite kind because i don't want to buy prada or that you know if it's if it's something i really dig and i've never heard of the label i'm totally into it you know yeah and so you know, with well, jewelry and all that too.
1: One thing one thing I wanted to ask you was your uh your fascination with the Rolling Stones and and particularly Brian Jones. Uh there was a point in the 70s where you were running an official Brian Jones fan club yes. that the, that the Rolling Stones themselves actually acknowledged.
2: Yes. I think was, that's
1: pretty amazing.
2: It was it was a big thrill for me as a kid, you can imagine. Yeah. I just, yeah. you know, I wanted to, you know, when I love music so much and I wanted to do something. Uh, this was before I started playing.
3: Yeah.
2: It was basically, you know, I, I learned how to play guitar. In fact, the first song I ever learned how to play is Torn and Frayed from Exile. Right. But, but wow. you know, a, around that age, you know, I, I wanted to, like, get involved and go into the city and everything underage, which I did. and, mm. and Like all of like, us. I <laughs> wanted to do something. So I, I got this crazy idea to run a fan club for Brian Jones. I didn't realize how taboo it would be. But the thing is, I did um, these fanzines, which were very popular in the 70s, Fan to do fanzines, right? Yes. So I, I had a Brian Jones fanzine that was filled with poetry, and people would do, like, artwork about just, like, draw your art. And people used to write to me. Everybody was older than me that belonged to this fan club, except a couple of people, like uh, Bill German, for example. Like, he was, like, 12 years old. He belonged to this fan club. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was interesting. Like, Gigi Allen belonged to the fucking fan club. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea, you know, like how crazy yeah. it was, but, um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was a big thing. And, um, I went up to the Stones office in like 78, I think it was, or 70, no, it had to be early than that. It was probably like 77 or 76. And, um, I had the audacity to just, uh, go up there and drop off fanzines. So I said, you know, this is for Keith, right? Yeah. It's for Keith. And, uh, Jane Rose came out and she said, "Oh no, but you know Mick wants to know about it. I need more. Give me more." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, oh. cool, great. I'll come back next week." Yeah. So such an exciting thing for a teenager, a Stones fan. Did you get him. to meet them? Well, I've met Keith years later, and yeah. I've, I've run into Mick. But the thing, and Mick supposedly uh, loved my cover of the Jagger-Richards song, which made me really happy. I think his people sent it uh, to like promoters and stuff.
1: Which which one, one which one is that? Which one is that now?
2: So much in love.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: yeah. 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 So that was a big thrill all these years later. But at that time, you know, it was cool. And so what they did was um, the receptionist, this beautiful Jamaican woman, I'll never forget her. And, you know, she called me at home and she said, we're going to put your name in the Rolodex, you know, because that's what Mick said to do. And that anybody who ever calls about Brian Jones, we'll give them your number. Is that OK? And I said, yeah, sure. OK, Fine. And then I thought, well, do you want to pay for the postage for the fan club? Because <laughs> I guess I was <laughs> and they said no. And I was like, ooh, that's not nice, you know. Yeah. But anyway, I did. I got calls from Rolling Stone. They were like, Who is this? Mm. Like, There's some teenager on Long Island, you know. But it was it was really fun. And then I was on WPIX radio, yes. and all these things.
1: PIX was a great station. I used yeah, to listen
2: to that. Yeah. yeah. They played yep. they played everybody. And then, you know, but then I started writing music and, you know, I used to go to CBs and I remember I had a petition to get Brian as Brian special on the radio and Joey Ramone signed it. Like everybody signed it. Yeah. So, it was cool. so I was cool because I was associated with Brian Jones. So, you know, yeah. I doing tons of drugs and, you know, speed and whiskeys and all this. And um, I was like 86 pounds. It was wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was wild. <laughs> it
1: was oh, you crazy
2: girl. I went down and I went up and, and, um, yeah. You know, then I started writing songs and I realized in 1981, hey, you know, I got to write a few more songs. I could play my own set at CBGB's, you know. And right. That's, and that's what, and,
1: I- and that's, that's what I was going to lead to next. Um, you know, y- y- you seemed like, uh, you know, a kid with a, a fascination with rock and roll and fashion oh, yeah. and really, really into it. What was the point or when was the point that that you decided to said, hey, I could do this myself?
2: Well, you know, I was um, I was uh, a, I was madly in love with Ivan Crowl from Patty Smith Group. I remember. And, yeah, and we used to write letters to each other. So he like sort of fed fed my uh, obsession,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and I uh, got a major broken heart with that situation. Okay. And, uh, you know, and what happens when you're broken hearted is you need a, an outlet, and so you know I was going I cut off all my hair. I cut it short like a beetle, and this is short blonde mm-hmm. hair and I was gonna become a boy instead of being a broken hearted chick, right? And so yeah. I started, um, I auditioned CB's June, 1981, and then I played it for like eight years, like a lot.
3: Yeah, wow.
2: And yeah, so, and I had great songs and I had a band that was really dedicated to me because they thought I had really great songs and they were just young guys from Long Island Right. And, uh, a lot of people thought, "Don't play with these local yokels; get studio musicians." And I said, "No, but I'm into it. You know, I want to do the band thing." And then it just—I um, don't know. And then you know, this, these things happen in New York, where I just kept running away. So I run. I ran to LA, and I lived there for a few years. And then I got sick of that, so I go back home. Yeah. I sick of that go back to L.A. So then that began like a whole lifetime of going back and forth between New York and L.A. Because New York would get me down because people are so, you know, it's like Positively 4th Street by Bob Dylan, totally accurate, you know. Yeah. In L.A., people are weird, too. You know, a lot of other kind of style of backbiting, very famous, these these sort of stereotypes that I found to be true.
1: No, it, it, it is true. I've, I've dealt with both both places. And they have their own little idiosyncrasies that you got to deal with.
2: Yes, and I'm very sensitive and, um, you know, I'm, I'm very nice and, and then I blow up. People say I've burned more bridges than anybody, but whatever. And uh, and then I started going to Europe. I went to Holland in the mid-'80s and did a bunch of recording there. Okay. And that's my album called Best of the 80s. It's my best of the 80s. And um, so I, I did a bunch of songs in, in Holland and, uh, and I kept coming to London and stuff. And, um, yeah, so – and then I basically – then I did some records. I did the, the first album with Dino
1: Danelli in New York. Right. I wanted to talk about that a little bit um, because Dino Danelli was, was the uh, drummer in the Rascals uh, for people who don't know. Um, I mean, the Rascals in the sixties were practically the New York band um, for a long time. Felix Cavalieri was the singer. Um, he still plays around today uh, in his own versions of the Rascals, whatever it is. But um You connected with Dino, Dino was going to produce your record, but he wanted to give it a little bit of a different twist, right, than what you were used to. You were more of a, you know, rock and roll, roll, folk rock, and and he wanted to do something totally different. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, so he wanted to do Electronica, which this whole idea horrified me, because I I wasn't really a disco
1: fan. Like dance music, almost.
2: Yeah, I wasn't really a disco fan in the 70s. I was one of those, you know, diehard rock and roll punk people. But, you know, now I really appreciate disco because music sucks so badly. It's like, it goes like, oh fucking great, you know? Yeah. And so, um, you know, when he wanted to do that, I was like, um, like horrified, you know? But I thought, well, maybe this means something. And then there was like all these sort of omens that ha- were happening. Like, for example, we call the album Love is Blue. And yeah. we did our own cover of Love is Blue. And that was my idea to do that. But Dino was completely into it. And then, you know, I learned that Love is Blue knocked It's a Beautiful Morning off the charts in 1968. Now, oh. it's, a, it's a Beautiful Morning, I bought the single. That's the Rascal
1: single, yes. Yes, and yeah. it's the
2: first single I ever bought in my life. So we, I was getting all these omens like, you're doing the right thing, this is too weird, you know, I just do it. And, and it, was, um, it was a lot of fun. It was an interesting time in my life. I was living in Times Square. In an mm-hmm. old um very Italian building. We can believe it at that. Someone got shot in the doorway before I moved in. <laughs> and um, and it was um I was a pot dealer at the time. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's gotta, what I did. Uh, gotta to do I
1: something a, to make money. I you
4: know was what's funny, he probably stole was... pot to my uncle and my dad. <laughs> he, he
1: grew up he grew up in that area. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm born well,
2: and raised in Hell's was... Kitchen. I was a secretary in midtown Manhattan for the whole 1980s and really straight and narrow, even though I used to get like sort of sent home for wearing a see-through shirt and things like that, which did happen. (laughs) Um, But I was a a statistical typist. I worked for Sports Illustrated. I worked for top, you know, McElvey, whatever these fucking ad agencies. I worked for all those people in the whole 1980s. And yet I never made real. I worked for Paramount Pictures for a year. And I never really made enough money because you don't. Right. And so I was sleeping on floors in the apartments like people do for most of my life until I started selling weed. And that was, you know, my ticket to uh, here's a lot of money and you have to spend it all because you can't save it. Right. So it was like the best mm. job I ever had. And uh, so that was the era that I did the first album. I had money, but the ha- that album was actually done in the studio um, in in bomb shelter studio in Chelsea. And it was totally free. I didn't spend any money. Dino took everything on him, you know? Right. And uh, yeah, so that was that was great. And I ended up loving the album. He thought that- well, Atlantic, there was,
1: there was a little there was a little bit of an issue there because it didn't get released right away, right?
2: Yeah, well, Dino didn't want me to do an indie label. He wanted to, he was convinced Atlantic Records was gonna put it out. So he brought it up to Atlantic and he was very depressed when they turned it down. They said, "You don't have this kind of lyrics and this kind of music and this kind of singer with that kind of music." And we <laughs> both—that's one thing we really disagreed on. We thought, "Why the fuck not? Why can't you have intelligent dance music?" So you know, I wasn't dumb enough. When <laughs> so, <laughs> so, they turned it down, and Dino was depressed, and um, he said, well, you could
1: look, like, look at it like you were too smart to be in that music. <laughs> you could yeah, look at it the other uh, way. Why not?
2: you know, like, but. I don't know. We could have done it. He was right. We should have gotten that album should have come out on Atlantic. But anyway, so I said, well, fuck this. You know, I'm going to just start my own indie label because I had the money to do it. Right. So I started my own indie label there at 135 West 45th Street, which is now the Hyatt, because they tore down the Italian restaurant I used to live in. And that's where I was living. And they tore it down. And so, you know, that was a 12 records. And I was into it. And I did big ads in, in like British papers and stuff. And it didn't really sell. It didn't really sell, but it was okay because I loved it. And that's, you know, that's, that was what mattered. And then I did the next album as a return to roots folk rock with the Strokes producer, Gordon Raphael. And I right. pretty much, I produced it, but he recorded everything. He played on every track. He, without him, that album wouldn't be. And so what year was that Roxanne? Souvenir de More.
1: And what year was it? Oh,
2: 2001. 2001.
1: 2001.
2: Yeah, so I did that with him, and I give him credit because he really influenced what that record sounded like. And um,
1: the and Strokes then, were hot. The Strokes were hot in two thousand one.
2: Well, they did that record right after me. Yeah, I was in the studio with Gordon, and then I said to him, I'm his, "I was his good luck charm," and then he did, <laughs> he did um, the Strokes. So yeah, um, you know, they just played the
4: Barclay Center a few yeah. months ago. Who the
2: Strokes? Oh,
4: the strokes.
2: Oh, really? I, I'm not really. I, I, you know, I never really got into it that much. I, I've got high standards. Yeah.
1: I, I, like, I like the first record, to be honest, and yes, everything yes, after, I, it, I don't care.
2: Know, people loved it, but I, it's not really my kind of thing, you know?
1: Yeah.
2: Um. So, you know, but so then I then I basically retired for like 10 years and just managed my husband, who I met in living in Times Square because he worked at Manny's. So we managed. He's awesome. 20, 20 years younger than me. So it was a cradle oh. robber. Yeah, I was a cradle robber. Cougar, yeah, and um, <laughs> and so you know we, he played rock and roll, straight ahead rock and roll, old fifties style kind of thing. He he turned me on to Ike Turner. I never really knew much about Ike and T. We just
1: did a podcast on Ike Turner. I'll, oh, I'll, really? When it comes oh, out, I'll send it to you.
2: Oh, please do because yeah. I love him because my husband turned Me too. On to music and the music is amazing. The early seventies records, the best. Yep, all so, that stuff. Uh, yeah, so we moved to LA because I thought, okay, time to go back to LA with this guy. He's gonna do it. So he played House of Blues like as soon as we got there, and like went on like after Chaka Khan did a. It was like this big deal, and um, and then he was playing the Mint, all the big places in LA. Played the Viper Room a few times, packed, you know. Yep. But he wasn't really. Nothing was happening. Like he wasn't getting signed, and then I, I had a baby who was disabled when we were living out there. Mm. And, um, yeah, so that was like heavy, sh- heavy shit, you know, Yeah. And, uh, and the politics in America, that was like when it really started to get like, you know, the early two thousands, like the shit started happening with politics.
1: Yeah. Well, a lot, like, a lot of know, things polarized obsessed. this country.
2: Yeah. Obsessed yeah. with politics and all that. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm still sort of diehard sixties where we're supposed to hate all politicians, you know? Not,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: yeah. But whatever and um you know so i uh i wrote songs with him Mm co-wrote songs with him that are really really great and he did a bunch of recordings in la and then i convinced him to move to italy so we moved to italy and um and then we had we got ripped off in italy and we ended up in england and that's where we've been ever since yeah 16 years why you know but i love it here the british have really taken care of me they have a great welfare system and they really do take care of artists and years ago in england alan mcgee who's a very famous uh british record company guy he like signed oasis and all that he actually got legislation passed that if you're in your 20s which i'm obviously not but if you're in your 20s and you play rock and roll and you're not working you can get unemployment and that was a brilliant thing to do you know,
1: because it, so- it, it definitely enforces it enforces the the art world. I mean, if exactly. you go back to the if you go back to the '70s in New York City, the reason why that scene, whether it was the art or the music scene, was able to flourish is because the apartments were so cheap on the Lower East Side. Yeah. You could have a part time job and pay the rent and 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 be able to do your music at night and live on that. That's the problem with with today. You don't have any place yeah. where that can happen.
2: Well, that, but even then, though, it was difficult because you, sure. were, like, you were sleeping on floors. But right. people here who play music, there's a way. Like my record label, which is an indie label, never really makes much money. But I'm the government recognizes it. Yes. So I'm allowed to sort of like write off all my videos and stuff. And, and it's like actually a legitimate thing to do because I might make money. I, yeah. might, I might sell a song to a film and have to pay loads of taxes. So they're very fair in that way. And, that's, and that's
3: very, that's very cool. It's
2: and it's like that all over Europe, pretty much. Which is yeah. Great. America doesn't have that. And so I we were in L.A. and we had, you know, it wasn't easy and I worked for some celebrities in L.A. and... um you know, it was, it was, my husband was working for like a limousine company. That's what you do in LA. It's like the songs, you know, the way to San Jose. Yeah. <laughs> everybody's that you meet in the bank is all there. Everybody's in show business. Sure. And first, it was like, it's really charming to live like that. when like, me and my husband moved out there and everybody's in it. The guy upstairs is a this, that one's an actor. This, And then after a few years, it starts to get to you because it gets um like, so fake. Sure. And you're, not, you're not in reality anymore. Yeah. And, uh, like, you know, with all these beautiful women who were so perfect riding in SUVs on antidepressants. And so I couldn't handle, like, that so- trip anymore, you know? Yeah. So I had to go and um, went to Europe, you know? And, and um, yeah, I've been here ever since.
1: Okay. So, Roxanne, we're going to take a short break right here, pay some bills. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the uh, Phantasmagoria album and what went into all that. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Rocker Mike and Rob presents. We've got Roxanne Fontana here, and we're going to talk about now her um, brand new album that just came out a month ago. A month ago, called the uh, Phantasmagorgy. Got it right here, and um, it's an interesting album. Uh, looks like it's about half covers and half originals, right? Yes. Okay. And uh, what was the impetus to this? What made you get this off the ground?
2: Um, well, you know. It was recorded during lockdown. Mm-hmm. That was the beginning, the first the first bunch of, two, the first uh, session. It's,
1: it's all recorded in England, right?
2: Yes, except that because of technology, we have the ability to share. So there were certain bits that were sent in from New York. There were certain files that were sent in from Australia. Wow. Right. And, um, yeah, and certain files that were sent in from South Carolina. But outside of those, it's all London. That's one of those few little bits that got sent in. Oh, and it's mixed and mastered on Long Island. Ah, uh, okay. well,
1: What uh, shop Studios, right?
2: Yes, Witchcraft, yeah.
1: yeah. Witchcraft, that's what I'm sorry, yeah. yeah.
4: yeah. Hey, Mike, imagine if the old guys had this technology that they could just mix and match and say, imagine what the other bands would have done with this style, or even the Ramones, anybody.
1: Yeah, they just, the only bands years ago that could do stuff like that were like the Stones. Okay, like a lot a lot of a lot of shows we've done, we've talked about like the making of Exile on Main Street, how that was recorded in the south of France and then got mixed in LA and you know, that whole thing. Only big bands back in the day could do that. But now
2: they had to physically go and travel to do it. Bring it,
1: right? You couldn't just share it over the internet.
2: That's their lifestyle. It's fantastic. That's I think that's part of the reason I'm a vagabond was because when I was a teenager, I used to read all these Rolling Stones books and that's just that's what you do. You just go anywhere you want, and you live everywhere. And it really, it really uh, influenced my life in this sort of really strange way, you know.
1: One thing I want to mention to the fans out there is, you know, check out Roxanne's YouTube channel because you've you've put a lot of videos up recently. Yes. Uh, you've redone some older songs, yes. okay. And and well,
2: I've and t- I've done more videos than like really established stars. I love to do it. You know, like in the eighties, all those old people we buy were like, Oh, what a drag of do videos. I fucking love doing videos. Yeah. To me, it's another creative outlet of how I want. And plus a lot of people don't really understand my music so much. Like, I don't know why I have this issue, but you know, they think I'm a lightweight or something. Unless they know me. Then they I don't, don't,
1: I don't see that at all. I see uh, you, you know, you, you're kind of like, like you say, you, you had this vagabond lifestyle. And yeah. you, you know you have this this amazing fashion sense, so visually you're amazing, exactly. and then and then musically, you're doing something that you hear. Yeah, I'm hearing '60s, but it's yeah. there's something more to it than just like well, a tribute.
2: It can't ever be yeah unless you suck. If, you, if right. you suck, but you just love a certain era, then you're gonna you know people will do. And and it's but you know if you're good, then you can't really and and it's just sort of. I don't know. Like most of my music has got a lot of girl group element because of my voice. Absolutely, okay? yeah. I have oh, a very strong oh, yeah. voice. I've been told I sound like Mary Weiss by my since my father told me this.
1: Amazing, amazing! Like, One of my all-time favorite singers, yes, Mary Weiss.
2: You know, but I, 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 I've never done it on purpose. It was always uh, this is the way I sing. I sing through my nose. I'm from.
1: <laughs> it's you know, the, it's North that New York. North York North it's, North. 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 it's that New York thing. Yeah.
2: yeah. And, and plus my sensibility of songs, because I grew up in the 60s, I write a lot of girl group style songs, but I also love folk rock. I love the Mamas and the Papas. And so right. this album is more of that. It's less of the rock and roll. It's it's less rock and roll, even though it's a lot of like sort of Yardbirds like jams on the record. You hear um, it. Rave yeah. ups, things like that. It's it's more folk rock. And um and yeah, I just, um, I'm very proud of it. You know, I really love it. And uh, it's, um, it's what, like I said, it's a departure.
1: One interesting track, and I, I'd like you to kind of elaborate on, on this a little bit, is the track, Dropping Names, which uh-huh. was originally done by the church, yeah. the Australian band. And um, I, I know that you had had some collaboration with them in the past. Um, with uh, Marty Wilson Piper, who was their guitarist for a while, right? And then on this record, you brought in Richard Plug to play drums on it specifically, right? You had a reason for that.
2: Oh, yes. Okay, so the church. I was one of their first fans in America. And so consequently, when they came to New York, I met them. And I became very close friends with them. Very, very close. And Marty's uh, the godmother of my daughter. Oh, wow. yeah, and uh, so when I made those rec- like the early records, he guessed it on them. And uh, I was a fan of theirs. I'm still friends with Steve. Not really friends with Marty anymore, unfortunately, but I'm still friends with Steve. And um, I was friends with, close friends with Peter. He actually, I was actually out with him at the music store at Manny's when I met my husband, you know. Wow. And, yeah, so the church loomed very large in my life as sort of, I don't know, in some weird way. And so I had a dream, and I woke up, and it was a message in my brain to cover dropping names. Never had any desire to cover any church songs. I think
1: that's on the Seance album, La- late 80s. Album. Yeah,
2: it's my favorite. No, early 80s. Like early early 80s, early 80s. And um, I immediately wrote to Steve and said, I want. I just got a message in my dream, and I'm going to uh, cover dropping names. Please help me with it. And he's like, I'm too busy. I can't do that. So I thought, oh, shit, what am I going to do, you know? And um, I thought, well, if I, if I have this message, because it really was a surrealistic message, and this is a surrealistic album. So if I really was going to be committed to that, I have to do it well. And I listened to their version, and um, I said, the only thing that I can't duplicate are those drums. Richard Ploog is an amazing drummer. Yeah. And he is a great drummer on that record. You know, I can play twangy guitars. I can get that done I can probably sing better than Steve. And so <laughs> the only thing I can't do is those drums. So, you know, I got in touch with Ploogie and I said, do you remember me? Because, you know, he he got he left the band a long time ago. I said, do you remember me from New York? And he said, yeah, I do. You know, and I said, I want to cover dropping names. Would you do the drums? If I send you the demo, would you do it? And he said, yeah, sure. So I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get Ploogie to play drums That's on dropping great. names. And so... Then from there, it was just a matter of building around the demo that I sent him. He had the drums down, and I got—we did three electric guitar parts. I I played one of the electric guitars, and uh, we did all of these. um, We got this great guy that lives in uh, in England, Tom Driscoll, and Matt played. My husband Matt—he played some of the guitars on it. So I think I, I love my version. I think my version's better than theirs. And I have to say something, and I'm not being vain. You know, if I try to do a cover, it's got to be as good as the original or better. Sure. Possibly. But it's got to be at least as good. My version of memory, I think, is is good. There are huge Johnny fans who love my version. Okay? Right. And right. I think he'd come back from the grave to put those backup vocals on that I did. Those mm-hmm. Like, I think he'd come back and say, no, I got to do that, you know. Yeah. So, and I saw Johnny a lot playing Max's, you know, when I was a kid and all that. So I love him. And my version of Groupy Superstar, I like my version better than The Carpenter's version. And I like my version maybe as much as Bonnie Bramlett's version.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And
2: these are other, other covers that I've done. And right. I think my Dropping Names is better than The Church. I think My Hampstead Incident is better than Donovan's or Marianne's.
1: I so agree with I'm that.
2: Faithful did it yes. also, I like mm-hmm. the title. And um, I think, um, what other covers did I do? Oh, uh, Into the Deep. I think my version is better than Cooler Shakers. Mm-hmm. And and the, what was the other song? I covered one more song, Is it I? No, I can't remember now. I think I have the album somewhere here. Barbara Jones, Home um, Street, Home. That's mine.
1: Yeah, that's your song.
2: Into the Deep. Um, Barbara Jones? Yeah, Barbara Jones is um, a guest on the album of Brian Jones's daughter. She plays, it's an yeah. inst- instrumental track. And she's that's her. She's on. I just hummed in the middle and produced it. But you know, I'm a big fan of these old uh, records like by Bridget Bardot, where they yeah. be like instrumental tracks. Like, so why the fuck not? So right. I told Barbara, she came to visit me and it was a very crazy thing. She came to visit, she got caught COVID on the plane. Oh, wow. She was gorgeous a week later, she was fine. And right. uh, and I said, it was like a last minute thing. I said, oh my God, Barbara's coming, book studio time. So I booked local studio time. And I said, and she came over and she I said, barbara i want you to play on my new record what do you want to do you know so so she did this song that she wrote on dulcimer and on flute and i produced it meaning that i got loads of takes and i decided what was staying and what was going so that was my production work and, uh, and then i hummed in the middle of it which is really cool i think we're putting out a video to that next week to barbara jones okay and, uh, yeah we'll probably be it'll probably be out by the time this is on and uh, yeah, so that was about. Did I do any more covers though? No, I think that's it. Yeah. Now, what about
1: the track uh, "Eat the Morning Glory"? Are you doing a video for that?
2: Oh yeah, we're working on it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, going to have a lot of footage, including footage of my of excellent me doing, of me doing it at Webster Hall. Right. That, wow. this one on YouTube, but we're going to take it and we, we're going to snip it and put it in because it's a very surreal song. It's about eating morning glory seeds. You
1: yeah. Know? figured it was something like that. was
2: <laughs> supposed to be a psychedelic. And then I'm yeah. reading Jean-Paul Sartre uh, from his book, Nausea. And okay. I don't know. I just think that it, it fits today. A lot of this, this tone of this record, because there's been a lot of death, so much death. I feel like we were living in a dying world. That's what I said in international times, is that we're living in a dying world. And this is my comment on it. I'm not going to die. I'm not dying in it. But, in fact, I, I feel like I'm unscathed by it. But you still... No matter how together you are, and it's hard to be together in these times, you know. And we all have our vices, you know, we all have our addictions and things. And and no matter how together you are, you're still living around everybody who isn't. You're right. And that's depressing. You know, people who are just following the establishment into the frigging grave because they are. And people who are, you know, just... I'm very anti-establishment. I've always been this way, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and people who were my friends in New York, like Steve Bader, you know, if he could see what was going on today, he'd be probably labeled the biggest conspiracy theorist because he was like that. He was everything. <laughs> right. He had a story for everything, Steve. And uh, and he was anti-establishment. And I'm anti-establishment and and I'm proud of it. And I don't try to, you know, Listen it, to what I'm it, supposed it, to do. It, it, uh, honest,
1: honestly, uh, not to cut you off, but honestly, um, it, the world we live in now, it, I think that, you know, artistically, it's it's stunted. Because everybody is so establishment. Horrible. Okay? Horrible. You know, the art- artistic world was always anti-establishment.
2: Of course. Okay, was for thousands of years
1: it, yeah know, I mean that's it thrives on that
2: Orpheus is get you got to get the muse from from the cosmos right Believe me the government is not the cosmos
1: no but know? too many people now they're, they're depending on that
2: Well he didn't get message from the government he got right. his just from the, and that's what makes things rock and that's why people hear it and that's why teens today commit suicide they have no rock and roll. You know, they have nothing. They have just anger and people yelling and and music that's just too. I've been listening to classical music and I'm a diehard rock and roll fan, but I'd rather listen to classical music than listen to what a lot of so-called rock fans listen to these days, you know.
1: There is no rock today. It's not even in the public consciousness. There's something that, you know, they call Madonna rock and roll. They call the, the, the term itself. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring oh, up Greg much. again right here. I'll bring up Greg Devos again right here. Oh, is yeah. that he recently posted something that made total sense how the term rock and roll is dead. Okay. And I kind of agree with it in the sense that it doesn't have that meaning anymore that it had even 20 years ago. Well, 25 but, years ago. Let me tell you,
4: I don't think it's dead because the Who played Madison Square No,
1: on. I'm not so saying like it's it. it's totally dead. It's just underground.
4: You know what it is? It's underground. That's all it is because everything's it? taken up by popular music. Like, you know, it's not even real music anymore. No. Like, you, you know well, what I mean? know it's an auto-tune and yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, let me tell you, you don't even have to, like, when's the last time you really heard to the, the radio? People go
2: on Spotify and they play what they like. No. Nobody so listens to know the know radio. To, it and it's so bad. It's so bad because that was the thing that made rock and roll a force in the in the uh, in the anti-establishment was that you heard the message anywhere. And sort I, of, you there know, there were people anymore. Nobody listens to the
4: radio. Mm-hmm. Everybody listens. Well, because, Everybody
2: yeah, got the playlist. People, play in, shop. people in shops used to be able to play the radio. Now, if you have a shop, because I had a fashion shop, yeah, you know, here in England. And if you have a shop, you have to pay royalties for playing music in the shop. So naturally, oh, people don't want to do that's, it.
1: That's stupid. Yeah. It's,
2: killed, it's killed the baby, you know. it's killed. Yeah. The, there is music that I like that's out there. And like Jake Bug, a lot of people haven't heard of Jake Bug, but he's only 29 years old. He's got five albums out. One, a bit, one is better than the other. You know, when he first came out, they compared him to Dylan. and But he's done like highly produced music that sounds current, but it's amazing. So it can right. happen, you know? It can but, happen, so he's wonderful. And Sarah Shook from America, to me, she's like, she should be a major star. She's like, yeah. you know, a major great listen
4: to the radio. Everybody, you know what people do now? People put a Spotify station, like me, I got my Spotify. I put classic rock. Am I going to listen yeah. to any new music? No, you don't, because all you get is while on classic rock. You listen to Pandora. You do the classic rock, or you do Rolling Stone. So nobody's listening to music like new music. Because who listen to the radio? Everybody got their own playlist what they like. So you pretty much cater to what you like.
2: Yeah, I know. I'm a, I, this phantasmagorgy has been on radio stations all over the world, but um, no, I haven't been able to buy a diamond ring. So yes, you're right.
4: <laughs> yeah. That's that's a problem. Like if we had like if MTV would start playing video again, introducing people to new music, how did people learn their music? They would watch MTV. They had video. Now they got pregnant at sixteen, or you know, they're not even MTV no more. They, should, they don't yeah. play. They
1: don't play videos, and and that's that's a shame.
4: I think that was a big thing that helped artists because if you never heard somebody, you would see a video, you'd be like, oh man, who is that?
2: That's what we touch- did. That's what we did in the '80s. That's right. Yeah. That's how you found new bands. They don't have that no more. Yeah, I know. It's um, it's a pretty bleak state. But the most important thing that's bad about it is that the you know, even I mean, streaming is bad because you know, obviously, we all know that it takes away revenue from artists. And like somebody, like even uh, what's his name, Bruno Mars, who I think is really good. He should probably be ten times richer than he fucking is. You know,
3: probably. But, uh,
2: you know, but then, but, but, you know, but then in, back in the old days, you know, like Jimi Hendrix, he went on uh, TV and he said that we're all making too much money. And see, so there's that also, there's like the chords of fame, that old song by, what's his head? You know, the famous folk singer from New York, Phil Oaks. Phil Oaks, yeah. So there, there's a death in becoming famous too. We've seen so many of our heroes like just lose it, you know,
3: and get yeah. sick
2: and, and um, you know, so, but then on the other hand, if you're not if as an artist, you're not the one that's making the money and getting the power, who is? It's the politicians and the pharmaceutical companies and the people who make wars. So maybe maybe it's safer for our sanity to not make a lot of money, but it's not good for the world. Right. Isn't getting out there and the people with power who are buying propaganda and buying the media, they're the ones making the money, you know? And I we agree. don't want them to make the money either. Because money is power, so it's a a conundrum,
1: it is, it is. Yeah, now we talked about your fashion interests and, of course, the music. But one thing I'd like to end off here today with the interview is your American Girl memoir. Oh, uh oh,
2: here we go.
1: Okay, (laughs) did I touch a a raw nerve here or it's
2: (laughs) nothing's
1: raw? I just have to watch that. um, Fascinating. I mean, you, you you seem to be very candid in this memoir. You talk about a lot of personal things. And uh, is it an ebook right now, or did it ever get published?
2: It was an ebook. It got great reviews on Amazon, I couldn't right. find a publisher. So, uh, and I've been too busy to really properly do that. You have to really apply yourself to finding an agent and a publisher. And I've yes. been too busy. And um, then I wrote. Uh, I took it off. I pulled it. I pulled it from the ebook because then I wrote a novel called The Cedar Trees, which I haven't had time to do because I've been, I did Phantasmagorgy because I got funding to do Phantasmagorgy. I found a great executive producer who gave me a lot of money to do this record. And uh, cause you know, I don't sell weed anymore. Never. I'd only <laughs> do that in New York city. Anyway, um, but um, you know, so I wrote a novel and uh, it's, sort of, it's based completely on a true story between me and a certain dead rock star, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm trying to shop it, and so I pulled American Girl, because some of it's a little bit redundant from what's in there, so I thought, well, let me, sh- I want to I get this book out, The Cedar Trees, and, uh, and, and you know, and I don't want, I wanted it to be a novel, and it's not because it's not true. The reason I wanted it to be a novel was because it's such a good story, it's such a great story that if people knew that it's me and what's his name then it becomes a whole different thing in people's heads then it's judgmental and fans get involved yeah oh who is she and oh that can't be true everybody's
1: opinion kicks in that
2: would never happen and all and i'm not particularly nice to this person in the book because it's how i felt you know so it's definitely not trying to uh, make something out of it. No, it's, it's it's kind of mean the book because that's the way I felt as this, these things were going on in the um, late '70s and '80s and '90s and onward. And uh, so I kept it as a novel because I want people to just read it like a book and try to figure out who it is and all that. To me, that's much more fun, and people can really enjoy the story rather than it being like a groupie book. You know, I love groupie. Yeah. I really do. They're
1: fun. No, yeah, uh, they, they can be good.
2: Yeah, but um, I love Pamela Zabar. You know,
1: that's that's probably the best one. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's the first one. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, but so yeah, so I wrote this book, and I and I want to put it out. If I can't find a publisher, I probably will put it out myself because I don't mind being indie because I'm a control freak. And, and, so and that's that's hard. something
1: I that's something I noticed through your whole career, Roxanne. Really, everything you do, uh, you you're very DIY. Okay, uh, I like
2: it because otherwise I'll drive people crazy. Even what? when I, <laughs> my favorite producer, right? Jack Douglas, produced one of my songs, you know, "Time Won't Wait," and um, he's my favorite producer, and you know, he said I was impossible because I really, I, 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 I won't let it go. You know, I'm, I'm very picky. I will. I drive my mixing engineer insane back and forth with the files. No, it's too low. No, it's too loud. No, it's too low. What do you
3: think?
2: Mm-hmm. I, I'm, And that's just one part of a song, you know? And so if I, 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 it's, you know, it's sort of good that nothing came out on a major label because I would have driven them crazy. I would,
1: And you wouldn't have the control I anyway.
2: I would have freaked out myself if, if something, like even like certain like reviews, like this album has been reviewed. It's gotten good reviews, but right. I don't care all of it because my husband, who's also a, a writer too, he's had book reviews. And uh, he said that there's a famous writer that says that you get angry because they didn't like it right. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like You know, I get compliments in the review and it's like, yes. no, no, it's not because of that. You know, so I'm, I get really bent out of shape because I'm very sensitive. I'm, I'm you know, it goes with the territory, I guess. Well, you I know, you put, you put
1: everything into it. You know, no, it's no, no, got to be right.
2: People like, you know, Courtney Love, like even bad publicity is good publicity. No, don't. Then I'm more Greta Garbo than just leave me alone. I don't want it, you know. Right. But just I always care.
4: say there's no bad publicity. It's when they stop talking to you that you know you're done.
2: No, but see, I don't want. I don't like to be misinterpreted musically in any way. So that's why it's good that I'm an indie artist because I control the narrative. I control, you know, who, you know, what what I'm doing musically, yeah, wise, everything, you know. And that's, oh, like, that's I what made you i love talking to you guys because you're where i'm from it's old school and this this sort of thing reminds me of public access you
1: know it's very kind of, similar
2: yeah. yeah you know what we have people offer to pick up the show and but they
4: want to give us a producer and they want us to script it mm-hmm. and i say no why are we gonna do that we got to be ourselves because the way the show works is people like our characters i like, we're not. Yeah. Char- we're pretty much characters. We're, 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 it's we're good. I that- loved
2: public access in the. Yeah, definitely. Whatever. You know, with Al Goldstein and Channel J. Yeah, Boston, or Robin <laughs> <Bird>. <laughs> I saw him once in a taxi, sitting in traffic on Ninth Avenue. I think it was in Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. And window was open, and he was sitting, and then he, you know, I knew it was him, and I was like so tempted. I just wanted to go up to him and go. Al Goldstein, fuck you. you know, yeah. <laughs> I, didn't do it. I didn't do it, you know, but I was—I I sort of regret not doing it because he's dead now. You know, that was his restaurant review. He'd get fuck you. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. He was very entertaining to watch.
1: Yeah, yeah. So what's the future for you, Roxanne? What's the next year or two going to bring? Are you coming to the States or what?
2: Okay, so I'm uh, going to do videos for every song on this record. Fantastic. Very excited about that. And then I'm going to put them, I'm going to do a, um, a mix. What is it called? Uh, when you, A shuffle. I'm going to do a shuffle. Okay. So I'm not going to put them out in the order, but then at the end of the year, I'm going to put them all together in the right order of the record. Okay. So, and, and, you know, run because you know how the, the songs all run together. There's no spaces in between them.
1: Yeah.
2: I, was, I said, this is my Sergeant Pepper. This is what the way I wanted it to be. Yeah. So I want to do a DVD with all the videos I'm going to do. Oh, nice. So, oh, yeah, great that because it's, so i'm trying i'm trying to do a good job they'll all be different than each other too completely different and uh and then i have a song in mind to do a follow-up single like early next year one of my rock numbers and um i've got loads of country songs i'm tempted to uh come a to country album a country album yeah
1: Put
3: on that
2: cat, you know i gotta keep myself entertained you know and you then know you gotta to-
1: t- and then you gotta tour everything
2: when I do the link, yeah, I'll put well, the link up... to
4: your YouTube channel also, so people can see some of your fantastic videos.
1: Oh yeah, we'll do that for you.
2: Great, fantastic. Yeah, I do. I do. I have a tour in mind. I'm going to uh, form a band with my daughter, who is disabled and an amazing keyboard player. She's uh, it's been a, it's been a weird trip, you know, raising a, a girl that's got needs like like she has, but she's an amazing piano player. It's shocking. Yeah. So she plays at Beatle Tourist Centers. She plays in Liverpool. Sometimes she's 19 now, so she's of wow. legal age. We can do it. And she's really pretty girl. She's got long red hair, blue eyes. So I'm thinking that we're going to do rock and roll. because She loves rock and roll. She doesn't speak so well, but she sings good, and she's a great player. She does my set. That's what gave me the idea, because wow. she'll play for hours. And she plays my songs, and I thought, we got to do this. And so we, we want to do um, a true rock and roll set, which is sort of similar to the last set I did solo, like where I'm mixing the Isley Brothers and the Ramones and my originals, and just to, twist and shout. A little shout, bit of everything. Yeah, rock rock and roll, just that's really rock and roll. Music. Fantastic. We do a great version of the Beatles' This Boy, me and her. Me mm. that's very, um, sounds like early 60s rock and roll. And so yeah, so I have those plans as far as playing gigs. Because it's mm-hmm. difficult to do phantasmagorgy because it's got so many parts and like there's the bugle on dropping names. Like it'd be like a that's, production. I'd have to have that's a lot hard of to do it. yeah, I'd have to have a lot of funding to put that kind of thing together.
3: Yeah. I, yeah as, far as, as far as
2: touring goes, I want to do a rock and roll. Go, I'll go back to rock and roll after I do these other few things. And uh, put on a cat suit and fucking rock
1: it. (laughs) There you go. What were you going to say, Rob?
2: Um, I got to tell you, to me,
4: one of the greatest cover was the uh, Tina Ike Turner, um, Proud Mary, because people forgot that Creedence even did that song after she did that version. (laughs)
3: That's
1: true.
2: I think her version of Get Back is better than the Beatles version. I I
1: agree. I agree. That whole Working Together album is one of the best albums of the
3: 70s, as far as I'm concerned.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know,
3: yeah,
2: it's really a shame. Ike really had it going on. I'm not a fan of Tina's after she left Ike. What no, me neither. I don't know.
1: me neither. No, me neither. I mean, but I like her. She deserved everything she got. But, sure. but the music she wise, had
2: that feisty shit, and she was funky, and she was full. Mm-hmm. Cool. But Ike has said, and I haven't met Ike, but my husband met Ike before he died, and you know, like he Ike said, "I am Tina." You know, that's what he said. And so yeah. maybe, maybe there was some truth to that, but she. I, did I, know, she did write a lot of those great songs in the early 70s. You know, yeah, she, she did. She wrote that relationship, and they were a feisty couple, those two. They yeah. were.
1: And you that's know, probably. Funny?
2: Mm-hmm. In huh? the New York Post
4: where Ike Turner died, they said I beat Tina to death. It's that so was
1: funny. that was the That was the Post. Right? That was that the had post that, I
4: beat yeah. Tina to death. And it was
2: like, what what the hell does <laughs> this mean? You, you had so to read sad. The it's so sad that she, you know that she never got over that and had to uh destroy him really yeah
1: yeah he, I, he, I saw he, him in a I, I saw him at a little club um so the I, uh what what was the name of that place rob that was uh, oh god it was on third street like below the fat black pussycat village underground right village underground yeah. oh, wow. i, I saw them i saw him there like not too long before he passed away it was a couple oh, years
2: down and playing because I saw him in L.A. too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he was sitting down and playing. Yeah, and he really liked it. You know, he he was great, but um, especially when he did "Rocket '88," which is really like oh. the first rock and roll song. And uh, he he talked about how he got a bad break and a lot of things weren't true. Yeah. And you know, he to his to his dying day, he was saying that. You yeah. know. The thing is, anyway. what
2: is, the music, you know, and right? They enjoy music today, and you know. I wish she could just see how great that music fucking was. But there's a mental block. That's her thing, you know, whatever. I guess she has a reason to have that. It's but, And it's yeah, not
1: to knock her, her, but yeah. I but,
2: Turner, right? but, you but you know what's bad? You know, she got that
4: play, uh, Tina Turner, what well, Love got to do the play. On Broadway. And they pretty much bash
2: Ike. So sad. Yeah. And the worst thing about it, because he's gone now, is that, you know, people may not necessarily go back and listen to that music.
1: They're not going to you know, get it.
2: All, all those soul trains are out there. I've got them all downloaded. All I continue to turn a footage that's on uh, YouTube. I have it. I love it. I've downloaded. I watch it on my television. The Playboy yeah. Club after dark. She mm-hmm. is fantastic. She was great with him. You know, I guess maybe she had to be great because she was in so much pain that she it came out. But whatever it was,
3: yeah, I love she it. had it.
2: Yeah, she, it. she
4: was. Fucking
2: great,
4: you know. You know what? If she was getting punched in the stomach before every show, she must
2: have been a hell of a singer. Yeah, well, <laughs> they probably, I think it wasn't Keith Richards the one that said that they used to be that he saw her hit him too. It was like, oh yeah, well, that that was
1: that was not emphasized in the movie or in the her book. I'm sure there was a lot of that going on too. Yeah.
2: She probably lumped him up a few times, man. <laughs> That's, that was that was the persona.
1: You know? yeah. Roxanne, I just want to tell you when you do come to New York, okay? You're invited right down to the International Bar where where Rob works, oh, cool. and okay. you know you you you're good to go. Whatever you'd like to do, you and your husband, or you know whatever you'd like, and uh, we'll put the full force of the show behind you coming. We'll talk about it. We'll hype it up,
2: okay? Yeah, last and, one, my last show in New York, it was either the last one or the one. No, I think the last one I was there maybe. I play David Peel's guitar because mm-hmm. the authorities took my guitar in Holland. They took really? My, yeah, my Silvertone acoustic has a pickup, has a P90 in it, which is sort of a very rock and roll thing to have a P90 in an acoustic. So you see an acoustic, but it sounds like an electric, and it's just a, a great trick. Oh wow! And yeah, he, I mean Kurt Cobain, I think, used to do that too. But anyway, right. they thought it was a bomb. They actually took my guitar in Holland. And I didn't get it back till, like, weeks later in New York. So I had no Jeez. cigar. And Peel's friends, totally cool people, they were like, you know, because I I, I play with David Peel recently. You know, when I go to New York, he would play. Yeah. I, they have parties for me in New York, my friends. So <laughs> they have parties and, like, birthday parties and stuff. And uh, so Alan Merrill, another God rest his soul. Yeah, player.
1: he's gone now he's too. Very yeah, Very
2: depressing. He played a couple of my parties. And Peel played a party and he died and I was there and I didn't have my guitar and his friend said, You want to play David's guitar? So that was this very special, recent New York City memory to me. That's you know, great.
1: That's great. Piece
2: of, piece of crap guitar. I have no <laughs> idea, but I guess he must have been smoking the right stuff to be playing that thing. He, had, he had it. But it was magical to play Peel's guitar. So um yeah, I don't know where I'm gonna play. So yeah, we'll see what happens.
1: You let us know and we'll we'll definitely get the word out. And everybody, I'd like to thank Roxanne Fontana for coming on the show. Thank you. Buy her, buy her album Phantasmagorgy. Yes, yes. On uh Spresatora Records, and you can get it on Amazon and other places, I think yeah. it's even on Spotify and other podcasts.
2: The things I put on the streamers are the cover songs. Yeah. I used to have nothing on streamers.
3: Not yeah. because
2: of money, but because of the principle. But I thought, well, I'm going to put the covers on Spotify because I don't pay it anyway because anyway, I didn't write those.
3: Yeah. So
2: I, put, I put the cover songs, but my originals are for sale on iTunes and the people that sell it. You know yes. and um, and then the CD is available directly from the label from my label dot to records.com. And uh, and we've got a flexi disc of Morning Glory, which is a real oh, cheap.
3: excellent yeah, it's
2: a flexi disc. And it was put in a French poetry magazine uh, about a month or so ago, as in the back. Because the girl right. that's the editor for the French magazine she helped me design that cover. Nice, uh, nice, really, yeah, she's really brilliant. Uh, Swedish chick from uh that lives in paris that has this great poetry magazine that combines the old folks like gerard Malanga's, like the hero and he he's mm. a lot of things the andy warhol dude and um and my favorite poet and uh new young poets and people who are like you know it's it runs the gamut it's a really cool magazine and it's bilingual in french and in english and uh mm-hmm. Yeah, she put morning glory, the flexi disc in the back, which is really Excellent.
4: cool to have. Yeah, hey, Roxanne, let me ask you a
2: question: Is this ever coming out in vinyl or just CDs? I I wish I want it. It should be on vinyl. It's such a great cover. I want it. It I is. Yeah. Self, you know, I want it. So maybe someday. Okay. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. So right now, vinyl is a big problem with making vinyl. You have to wait a year to get it made because there's a backup and a lot of the plants are in Russia and people are boycotting Russia. So that's because, so my, um, my flexi disc was made in the Czech Republic. The CDs were made in the Czech Republic and there's so many indie acts out now. And so many and vinyls made such a huge comeback that everybody, even the top 40 people are doing vinyl, especially in England. They're all, so so you have, as an indie artist, you have to wait like a year, because someone like Adele even has to wait five or six months. For her wow! wow. There's such party. a backup
1: like that. Wow!
2: So wow. yeah, but who knows? If I get the funding, you know, this who knows to say what's to say? You know, what's could happen? Yeah. Like singles, I put out the singles album as an album. That was just all singles. I'd like to get that put out on CD because I mm. have physical copies of everything right now except for the singles. So I want to do the singles on CD okay. because that's you know accumulation of my whole past ten years of of work. Here in England
1: since I've left. Wow, wow. Okay, so let's wrap this up. Roxanne, thank you so much for coming on. You were fantastic. You. We great. wish you all the luck in the world. And so, um, you know, stay in touch and yeah. let us know when you're coming. Anytime you great. need anything, you let us know. And I there's always a there's always a drink for you at the bar, okay?
2: Oh, okay.
4: Oh, and how message. can people read you? Uh, do you have a website or anything? Yes, right.
2: the record, my record label, Sprezzator Records.com. Sprezzatura so. records.
1: Okay,
2: excellent. Yeah. So I'm gonna put a link, I'll put a link in my, when I do
4: the whole thing, the, the description, I put a link to that record company too.
2: Okay, mm-hmm. wonderful. Yes, records.com. It's do you know what spreadsatora means?
1: No, I was gonna yeah. ask you that, it's Italian for oh, what?
2: It's, it's an Italian new word that was invented in 1928. It means that you put in a lot of effort and a lot of work, but it looks like it's nonchalant.
1: That's you. That's a perfect that's a perfect name for your label. Yep. Thank you, Roxanne. Okay. Thank
2: you. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, Have ciao. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Bye. I'm getting loved up with Rocker Mike and Rob Rossi. I'm getting loved up with Rocker Mike and Rob Rossi. Well, I'm loved up, but I'm okay. Getting loved up and quite a Getting loved up and a